Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. What we struggle with is understanding, you know, where our problems actually are. Like we've got theories ourselves, but like having a partner to help us dive in and try to understand ourselves a little bit more to then unlock potential value, right? And like identify a a more articulate problem that their their capability or their service or whatever it might be can actually help resolve and then to um, go on that journey with us like that kind of partnership is i think the thing that the army and the dod needs the most and i would love for people to engage us in that way welcome to the government huddle podcast guys i'm your host brian chittister And so much of the talk these days surrounding government technology has to do with shifting to a cloud strategy. And despite the modernization of the public sector, agencies still face challenges when it comes to data privacy in the cloud. Migrating to the cloud represents a seismic shift away from traditional IT practices. This not only requires a different approach to regulatory compliance, but also operational management and application architecture. I think it's vital that we as marketers understand the challenges that these organizations face as they look to realize the value the cloud can bring. And I think that's something our guest today will be able to help us with. On today's episode, we have with us Paul Puckett, the current director of the Army's Enterprise Cloud Management Office, which is the services office dedicated to cloud migration. It's designed to support the service branch through a centralized office and improve the ability to facilitate cloud projects. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Good to be here. So let's jump right into it. When you're the director of an office charged with centralizing enterprise cloud activity for the entire U.S. Army, you've got to be a busy guy. Why don't you fill us in on your role there and what you guys are working on right now? Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, so I think the one tweak to start off is you said we were responsible for migration. And so uh, my team will tell you and some other people tell you that's kind of a a pain point word for me because uh, typically migration is almost this notion where all your problems are going to be fixed by just simply moving yourself to a new environment. And uh, what we're really trying to codify in in the strategy for why the ECMO exists is that there's a strategic objective here for how we can leverage cloud computing. And so it's this focus on the true modernization. Um, And it's not just modernization leveraging new technology that we're trying to lean into, but really modernization of our organizational structure, of our skill sets that we have across the Army, um, our business processes uh, that typically are filling gaps in uh, how we designed our IT systems, Um, and then even to the way that we uh, acquire technology, right? So um, the ECMO was stood up as part of uh, a study that was done looking at the adoption of cloud computing that the Army has been on for, geez, probably the past decade, really, 
Um, and so the Institute for the Defense Analysis uh, was uh, commissioned to say, hey, are we, are we doing this thoughtfully? Are we doing this the right way? Um, and some people will know about the 2015 cloud strategy that the Army put out. Uh, and it said uh, a number of great initiatives, a way that we are going to uh, really modernize the Army, leveraging cloud computing, uh, seeing the strategic objective. But it had this one line in there that said, in order to do this, uh, it's going to require the constant collaboration of these entities across the Army. And then the cloud strategy listed like literally every command, uh, <laughs> you know, HQDA itself. Uh, it essentially said the Army is going to have to work with the Army. Uh, to get this done. Um, and where the uh, IDA came back is like, you, you need an actual entity who's responsible for bringing this together. Um, and it's not to say that that entity is going to, you know, quote, do it for you or tell you where you're wrong. Uh, but you really need kind of uh, someone to act as the glue uh, to bring all these components together, um, to be responsible for capturing the lessons learned, for codifying a strategy, for um, really laying a pathway that others can follow. Because Army is huge, right? Like Army is massive. So I mean, you're right. Uh, we're very busy. Um, but it gets to, we're not trying to boil the ocean here. Uh, one thing that uh, we've been really focused on in the ECMO is being effective first. And so we're, we're taking this notion of starting small and learning from starting small so that we can uh, pivot quickly when we learn things um, and then slowly scale being effective. Um, and, and I think it's driving a, a more purposeful adoption of cloud. Um, and I think it's also transitioning the army from what once was kind of this cloud first model uh, into more of a cloud smart model. Um, and as we see the rise of uh, microservices and containers uh, moving towards how we build those skill sets um, and apply those lessons learned to a more uh, cloud native model. Um, so kind of a, a long way of saying really that ECMO is uh, all about uh, codifying uh, the lessons learned for cloud adoption and driving the digital transformation, leveraging cloud computing of the United States Army, uh, collaborating across all Army entities uh, to bring the, the value of cloud computing for our readiness and lethality mission uh, at Army scale. That's And that's a large scale. Like you mentioned, the Army is large. And cloud, obviously, is the foundational element to um, what would say is digital transformation, the most overused buzzword in the history of buzzwords, mm -hmm. probably. but. Uh, one of the things you touched on, and I'm glad you did, is is the idea around culture and people. So as you're looking to leverage cloud and, and kind of develop new technologies uh, and adopt new technologies, how does culture play a part? And what what is the Army doing um, to kind of support that cult cultural change? So, you know, I, I find it kind of interesting when I first came on board and um uh, I went around, was doing a whole bunch of different office calls with a number of Army senior leaders. Uh, more than once uh, did I hear that they were excited for me to be on board because I was going to help uh, change the culture of the Army. Um, and the I entire that was Army. So, that's right. That's right. Um, but I, but I, it, there's, there's something in there that like I feel like you have to unpack. And I heard this a lot back when I was with... Um, 
uh, pivotal over in the private sector is people would come into uh, the office doors when I was there and they'd say like, hey, we hear that people you know, look to you guys uh, because you help with culture change. And I found it interesting there as well. Um, not that I want to push back on it, but like changing culture is is really hard. I made this comment the other day that um, uh, you get to change the culture by demonstrating uh, outcomes, uh, leveraging a new way. Like it, for me, changing a culture means that you have to see uh, kind of the mission that you're on being demonstrated in a fundamentally different way with a fundamentally different methodology and a different mindset for you then to be able to take a pause and to step back and say like, Hey, like what about what we're doing the way that we're doing it um, could perhaps be done a different way to achieve the same outcome. Um, if not even a, you know, a better outcome. And so I find that like those, those small little pathfinders that demonstrate value uh, in a way that some, you know, organizations with an ingrained culture of the way that they work, the way that they talk, uh, you know, the way that they quote do business at the end of the day is supposed to achieve an outcome, right? It's, it's there for a mission. And when you see someone uh, just absolutely thriving at achieving a similar mission, applying a completely different methodology, that's when I think that you have those moments of, Oh, wait a second, you know, what could we be doing better? Um, and so when we think about cloud computing, like this, this world where, uh, you know, we've been forced to design these fixed architectures with these fixed requirements, uh, with these, you know, these fixed contracts, um, with these fixed environments. Uh, and then we say, Hey, guess what? Um, you know, the, the whole world of compute and storage could potentially exist at the tip of your fingertips uh, with online on-demand uh, self-service com compute and storage. And so the limitations of the acquisition timelines for hardware and getting that built into a data center, let's just put that off to a side. If we wanted to go and experiment on an idea that you had right now, what if I told you that the timelines for compute and storage were no longer there? Um, and what if I told you that all of your business processes now have to complement my ability to provision infrastructure at a push of a button or with a line of code? Uh, what about your business processes change? And if you have the ability to experiment on an idea and then just completely destroy it and try it again in a matter of, of minutes, you know, how would that change your requirements processes? Like, would you look at requirements differently? Um, and so, uh, like, uh, like if you if you take kind of the culture and kind of the way we do business, and just look at the opportunity in front of us, I think it forces people to say, "Wait a second, like, what about the way that we've always done business, and even the way that we've assessed leadership over the years, and like how they're great at planning over the years is is now like it's almost like this plan gets thrown out the window because I can try nearly anything." What about the way that we do business has to change? And I think we're seeing outcomes being delivered a different way with a different methodology. And I see cloud computing as such an instrumental piece of that. Um, I think that's what's driving this, this kind of cultural train, you know, culture change, you know, transformation movement uh, across the DOD is people are seeing a, a new way to do business that is um, equal and better to the way that we've done business before. And it's starting to solve some 
amazing challenges that have always been in our way. Uh, that's what I think cloud computing is able to do. And that's why I'm, I'm just so jazzed to be a part of it. I like how you put that, Paul. Culture change happens when you start to see success leveraging new and innovative methods of accomplishing the mission. And I think we're starting to see that across the whole of government. And part of the reason why, in my opinion, is the infusion of private sector talent into public sector, bringing new approaches to some of the same problems, honestly. What do you feel like your private sector background has brought to your role at the Army? Do you feel like you're able to bring a different perspective because of it? Well, there's, a, I think it's even important to note there why I joined the private sector in the first place. I, I mean, prior, prior to uh, being in the private sector, I was a civilian uh, over in the intelligence community. Um, and uh, so I was over at NGA, and what we saw over at NGA was the commercial world around imagery was just driving leaps and bounds uh, where their technologies were getting better, their analysis was getting better. And so it was really about like, how do we, how do we lean into their methodologies um, for, you know, imagery analysis, geospatial analysis, analysis um, leverage those capabilities when it comes to uh, commercial imagery, uh, commercial imagery shots that we had um, and really partner there. Um, and it also meant that, you know, we're generating data at a speed that we couldn't keep up with. Um, and so therefore the ways that we are generating our analysis tools and solutions had to adapt. Um, and so my, my time over at NGA really, uh, I would say kind of formed this, uh, this love for these, you know, commercial methodologies, um, uh, and how software is being designed and built and how we're leveraging data, uh, at the speed and scale, uh, that is being generated. And I mean, geez, even then commercial can't keep up with, uh, just the rate that which you're creating data. And so my really my my time over at at NGA I think was probably the most formidable uh, time um, uh, when it came to like just fundamentally changing this outlook of these commercial methodologies for delivering value, uh, and that was only accentuated at my time uh, at Pivotal is because the the business uh, that we were in was how do we help enable the DoD leverage the methodologies for building modern software um, and enable them to focus on the, the mission itself where, where the applications and the data uh, that they were developing and delivering was the key enabler. Like that was the, the niche, that was the value add, that was the place with the greatest return on investment. And the opinions, if you will, that the DoD holds in what is now commodity hardware um, typically have a low return on investment. I mean, this is the move where, you know, when we talk about infrastructure as a service and starting to move up the IT tech stack into the platform as a service and software as a service realm is, you know, we're getting to a place where the true value add is to simply get all the components in the tech stack, if you can, as a service. And then mm -hmm. just hold opinions uh, in the layer that drives the greatest value for your mission. Um, and so I, I think like that that time over at Pivotal and just working, you know, with entities all across the DoD. Uh, one, you know, many people in the DoD and even the commercial world. I think that was probably the key thing is the commercial sector struggles with this as well, right? It's like where where should I invest to hold the greatest value for the business or mission that I'm in? 
And am I wasting money and time and people and skill sets um, in holding opinions in the IT tech stack that's actually holding me back from my mission? Um, I think that that time over there uh, was extremely um, instrumental in kind of the way that I think, which is, you know, just focus on the value, like focus on where there's that greatest return for the mission that you're in. Like for the Army, our mission is in readiness and lethality. Right, like our mission is in. We've got a mastic logistics supply chain. Uh, when we talk about people, and when we talk about uh, you know physical infrastructure, we talk about uh, what we bring to bear in the fight. Uh, knowing what we have, where it is, the state that it's in, you know how we can use it. That's critical. But then there's also the training readiness side of the house. And when we talk about training soldiers, if we're holding opinions in IT that's taking their time in training that has a low return on investment for us, we're actually wasting our soldiers' time, right? So can we get to a more simplified model with our IT tech stack? So therefore the training enablement in our soldiers is elevating the way that they contribute to the fight and therefore increasing our, our lethality on the battlefield. And what we're seeing on the battlefield is we're, we're now in cyber warfare, right? So now their ability to, to fight uh, in software and with data is becoming just as critical uh, as their ability to fight with, you know, the weapons of war. And so uh, that's where this push is for us to elevate our game and become experts in uh, and really what be, is part of our, our cloud plan to reestablish the core competency to fight and win with software and data. Um, and so I, I think that that time in, in, the, in the, the, the private sector was you know businesses are they're trying to eliminate as much overhead as they possibly can right to uh, to get to their revenue so when we think about the DoD and our overhead in the IT world of opinions that we hold that are not delivering on the investment that's where we can optimize and modernize uh, and that's also where we can elevate the game of our soldiers for how they uh, fight and win uh, now in the you know the the warfare of of cyber warfare. So, so I, I like how your, your narrative shifted a little bit there and you used words that you don't hear in the civilian sector, like lethality, battlefield, warfighter. Um, and I think that really speaks to that. There's a different language that department of defense and, and the, the military organizations will use because it's a different type of urgency. I think you're a lot of it is centered around the warfighter. Um, and you also talked about data. And one of the things I've heard you say before is that, data is the new ammunition for the future fight. I believe that's, that's kind of how you coined it. Um, but what, uh, a feeling I've had is that data isn't really useful. It's the information you can extract out of that data. And it, that really becomes useful. That makes things actionable. You can pull those insights out. What is the army doing right now to pull that information, pull those actionable insights out of uh, the data that it's producing uh, or consuming, um, and and provide more insights uh, for the warfighter. Yeah, so a, a number of different things, and I, I'm I'm super proud of where the Army is uh, on this journey. Was when I came on board, um, I came on board on the 25th of November, and that was kind of the official you know, start of the ECMO. Um, uh, just uh, the week prior, uh, on the 19th of November, the uh, Army had released a, a data uh, execution order. Um, and it was all about uh, 
our data and uh, our ability to uh, uh, quickly and thoughtfully derive good information uh, from that data. Um, and it was all about the army starting to see itself. Uh, we, we generate data all over the place. Um, and this also drives to what the DOD is trying to do to see itself when we talk about joint all-domain operations. And the vision for joint all-domain operations is really uh, the data generated across the DOD available when and where you need it. Uh, when we talk about the uh, ability to move from any sensor to any shooter in any command and control node. Uh, so our ability to share data in real time with our partners across the DoD and our ability to share data, exchange data uh, within our systems is absolutely critical. And what we found with the limitations of uh, really kind of the PC era, but also the way that we typically acquire and build systems is uh, the requirements process has generated this world where there's a number of, you know, thou shalt statements, and we articulate all of the point-to-point -point connections that need to happen for a given business and a workflow. And what we're finding is that there's some connections uh, for data that we now want to connect that were never part of a requirements document. And the systems that generate those, uh, those data sets were never designed to exchange and share that data uh, with those now emerging requirements. So what we're finding is that the, the systems that we have, like I said before, are designed for these fixed architectures, for these fixed requirements. And that also means fixed limitations on where and how we can use our data. So the Army put out the data XOR that said, hey, let's look at all of our data sets, all of our systems uh, that are currently responsible for brokering uh, access to those data sets. And let's assess ourselves when it comes to you know, what is authoritative data being derived in these systems um, and the actual ability of these systems to share this data in real time for this ad hoc world. Um, and so the data in Cloud XORD is, is driving this notion for, for how we see ourselves. Because if you're going to take any steps to change yourself, to optimize yourself, to modernize yourself, you need to understand where you are in the journey. Um, I've, I've, you know, kind of stolen this a, a number of different ways, but there's this great video by by Simon Wardley when he talks about mapping, but it's this articulation of the why of purpose and the why of movement. So I think the why of purpose is clearly articulated in the Army modernization strategy when it comes to our data and be able to connect our data in real time across the DoD to leverage machine learning um, to apply, you know, uh, kind of machine power to the amounts of data that we're generating to leverage artificial intelligence to help us make good decisions at the speed of war is critical, which means that that data needs to be accessible. It needs to be, you know, secured though. Uh, it needs to be understandable and translatable with other systems and other data sets. Um, it needs to be discoverable. It has to be visible. And so the, the VATIS criteria uh, is a component of the data XORD for Let's find these data sets. Let's assess, uh, you know, where it ascribes in the world of being VATIS, right? Visible, accessible, understandable, trusted, interoperable, insecure, and where we need to make investments to operationalize these data sets and optimize these IT systems that are currently brokering access to these data sets. That's where our modernization investments need to lie, and the skill sets in our civilians and our soldiers uh, to be able to uh, do this work is critical. Uh, that's even one of the 10 commandments of the uh, the Innovation Board's uh, software study, uh, is essentially assigning entities to service enable these data sets in these systems. 
And then finally, understanding the, the fixed architectures that we have today, uh, these systems were never designed with the compute to handle these kind of ad hoc workloads. Uh, and so that's this value of cloud computing is, uh, can we redesign these systems um, and leverage on-demand compute and storage uh, to allow these systems to scale elastically to the need uh, when it's needed. And so these pieces tied together is why the data in Cloud XOR for us to see ourselves, identify those authoritative data sets, identify you know, where those systems are across some Vatis criteria, then help drive the investment for modernization is this journey that the Army's on to then leverage cloud computing thoughtfully and effectively. Uh, and is part of what is now the data and cloud uh, execution order and is captured in the Army data plan and the Army cloud plan uh, and is currently being executed uh, today. And, and even with that start date of, of November 19th of 2019, uh, we are seeing awesome outcomes uh, across our warfighting mission areas, across our business transformation uh, mission area, uh, across our enterprise side when it comes to cyber threats and our defensive cyber operations. Uh, and then even seeding into, of course, our our intelligence mission uh, and how we support there. And so it's it's been awesome to be on this journey and then seeing how the cloud's being leveraged along the way. But at the end of the day, cloud computing, uh, any IT infrastructure, only reason it exists is for your mission. Uh, and that has to do with the data that you generate, uh, how you understand it, and how to use that that information to either make good decisions um, from a command and control perspective. Uh, or make good decisions when it comes to orchestrating, again, the readiness and lethality of the Army and uh, how we make good decisions uh, for how we collaborate and communicate and execute our mission across the DoD. So I think in the past, uh, government and, and DoD has gotten uh, perhaps a, a stigma uh, around how slow it moves in certain areas. Uh, I think shifting to the cloud is one, but I think what you really just uh, explained is I don't think it's the fact that that they've been slow to move. I think they just have a lot more um, outside factors that they need to um, bring into the equation as they're moving it. I mean, talking about uh, the type of data and and the readiness of the data, availability of the data, the, the readability of the data, all of that is just a small, small component of kind of some of the, the factors that you have to bring in, uh, bring into the equation when you're making some of these migrations. And I think it, beyond just that, you have to take that and then scale it to a size larger than, than some of the largest companies in the world. So um, I, I think that's certainly, uh, that's certainly something to think about, but is that something you felt when you joined the army? Is that the kind of the scale is perhaps larger than than something that that you've ever had to look at uh, it's uh <laughs> uh listen the what the third largest like entity in the world i, I mean yeah the, the largest service across the dod uh, that i mean that scale is not lost on me or my team in any way shape or form um it, I mean, it can be immensely overwhelming at times uh but it also means that just the can you imagine the scale and the opportunity right for seeing, for seeing this through and seeing this drive and this modernization, it's just the the value that the United States Army provides every single day, um, a lot of times is, is unseen by many, uh, especially when you talk about the reach of our National Guard and Reserve. Um, 
uh, heck, even, you know, you know, National Guard being called up when it comes to COVID, people starting to see the responses there, the the role of the Army Corps of Engineers and the response there with COVID. Uh, there's a lot of things that the Army does um, that's, you know, sometimes on the on the battlefield of, of the home front and how we uh, protect and serve uh, the safety of, of our, you know, our public um, and how we keep, heck, you know, the roads and the dams running. Uh, there's a number of things that we do at the scale is just massive and immense. And it also means that the constraints and the challenges and the nuances and the policies and the governance is also immense as well. Um, it's, it, it absolutely can be overwhelming, but the opportunity and the value um, for the American people, for the United States Army, for the Department of Defense, for the mission that we have here and abroad, uh, it requires right us to just be full on every single day so i mean it's the it's the kind of challenge that that we love in the world of digital transformation but it's also at the same time something where you can't you, you can't let it scare you into making decisions where like the scale scares you uh to kind of be too knee jerky if you will to focus on um efficiency and and i say that only in the sense of like far too often uh, a lot of things requires massive scale. You focus on being efficient and then you find in the end, you're very efficient at not being effective. Right. And so we've been really thoughtful, uh, when it comes to adopting cloud is to start small, like I said, be effective, show outcomes, learn where those rough edges are, uh, optimize those rough edges and then start to scale. Um, and so this is, I mean, we've seen immense speed, but I would also say velocity. Right there's there's a destination in addition to having that uh, actual speed. There's a heading that we're on, um, and and we're you know appropriately pivoting along the way to make sure that we're we're getting to that north star. Um, and so the the scale is not scaring us. Um, it, it's I mean the army deals with scale all the time, um, and therefore the army is I would say the most focused on getting it right because of that scale, as we because we know the the opportunity is just so massive. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, uh, Brian, I've got to tell you, like the topic of scale is, it's just a, such a, a beautiful, challenging, wonderful mm -hmm. opportunity, uh, especially to be in, you know, just the business of digital transformation, all of my peers across the army community, like we love it. We love that challenge and that opportunity. It's, it's just so much fun to be a part of, uh, understanding the reach that you can have, you know, as you, continue to uh, work with the right people and, and see the right outcomes. Well, and I'm I, frankly, I, I'm glad we have somebody like you in that role then, because I, I could see, uh, I could see somebody easily looking at it and, and kind of be par being paralyzed by uh, the scale at which they have to operate. And you mentioned North star, but I think the army tends to be the North star for a lot of the other uh, military organizations out there because it is, it is so large and it does tend to be, uh, the one that paves the way in, in certain ways and, and uh, set the example. So um, the fact that you see this massive challenge as an opportunity is is exciting for me. Um, and I think one of as we talk about cloud, uh, one of the things that you mentioned was security, and um, obviously one of the biggest uh, security compliance uh, initiatives out there is FedRAMP. Um, how have you seen uh, a program like FedRAMP or, or programs like FedRAMP 
uh, or even factoring in CMMC, which is beyond CSPs, but um, just contractors in general. How do you see programs like that driving cloud adoption within the U.S. Army? Because it seems like it, it it's taken some of the risk, not all of it, obviously, but some of the risk off the agency or the, the department and kind of place some of it back on the CSP. But I think it's driven some of the innovation that we've seen on cloud. What's your take on that? To understand FedRAMP, I think we have to look at the context for uh, how FedRAMP came to be and the, the, the problem that FedRAMP was trying to solve, the, uh, the opportunity that sits at the other side of FedRAMP and why GSA leaned in there. And I think that's really helpful if we look at the Cloud Smart methodology and what DoD put out which is driving on three pillars towards security, procurement, and the workforce. And if you dive into all three, I think something like FedRAMP makes way more sense because if you look at the typical paradigms for how we have accounted for security, which for some uh, has really fallen into this bucket of checklist compliance, where we sometimes lack the context of the why or even the intent uh, behind the control. When we look at procurement and this notion of you know, how we leverage a capability uh, that is now an on-demand self-service capability like cloud service. There's there's a barrier to entry there. And when we talk about the workforce skill set, we talk about the the way that we consume cloud services and being thoughtful in our cloud adoption. There's some challenges there as well. And so I feel like what FedRAMP was designed is to help bridge that gap for how we move on that journey for optimizing our security around a distributed architecture instead of these fixed architectures, right? For for helping us understand, well, hey, hang tight. Uh, this is a service that is not delivered on a DoD premises. This is a service that is uh, not even necessarily a, a DoD contractor per se. This is may not even be a, a U.S. person that's providing the backend services. So, like, how, how do we make sense of this from a security perspective? You know, how do we procure this? You know, how do we even make sense of this from a workforce perspective? And FedRAMP said, hey, let me let me help you. Let me bridge that gap. Um, and start to kind of reduce the barrier to entry when it comes to the DoD adopting, adopting these uh, cloud computing technologies. Uh, because otherwise, the the way it would go down is, you know, each agency would procure out individually. Uh, there'd be a whole bunch of wasted overhead when it comes to how we procure and then how we accredit each one of these systems. And then we would get into the challenge of reciprocity and interpretation of security controls and uh, how one person has a accredited one thing and whether it's accreditable by another agency. And so FedRAMP said, hey, let me let me bridge this gap. Let me standardize the way that we're going to uh, assess these service providers. We're going to assess the backend side. I'm going to provide for you the foundational body of evidence when it comes to you know what is provisionally accredited to be run in these environments. And then you can leverage that foundation and then build on top of that uh, your use case and uh, and your data and your systems. Uh, and then you can hold your authority for how you accredit leveraging this this capability. So I see things like FedRAMP to help reduce that barrier to entry. Um, but I think for many, it's almost like a, a black box. Uh, they don't really understand what's actually happening within the process. And, and that can also be a challenge. And I think that gets to the workforce skilling side of the house, uh, point one. And then point two, I still feel like there's more to be done when it comes to how we treat security. Um, and how we start to adopt, you know, new as a service uh, methodologies, um, and, and so I'm I'm really excited uh, for even like if, if you look at the details of the Jedi acquisition, is can we move towards more of a 
a true commercial based, you know, capability uh, instead of the nuanced, you know, gov only or DOD only capabilities. Uh, and I'm really excited uh, for that movement because uh, I think this world of leaning into commodity IT uh, is growing. And I think there's just so much opportunity out there in the commercial space and uh, things like FedRAMP for how we reduce those barriers to entry uh, to leverage that emerging technology, uh, I think only helps us learn more uh, in the journey for then how we uh, do so uh, thoughtfully and securely uh, in context of the, the sensitivity of our mission. Um, but it allows us to, to learn and grow, uh, to build our skill sets. Um, and then we can find, you know, where either in policy we need to change or even in our, our, um, you know, security practices, what we need to change or even procurement where it needs to change is things like FedRAMP only help us learn on this, uh, cloud adoption journey. So you've given the listeners, I think, some really good insights into how the Army views cloud, um, where your office is is looking to evolve into and, and really uh, bring to bear some, some new emerging technologies to support the Army and its mission. But in doing so, um, I have no doubt that you are getting bombarded by, uh, by companies and CSPs that have solutions to be able to support uh, the Army as an enterprise. Um, what would your what would your recommendations be to folks trying to not only get your attention but to really partner and provide value uh, for for what your programs and initiatives are looking to do? Um, because that's that's what a lot of my listeners um, really are. They're made up of the sales and marketers really trying to trying to drive value within Army and really support you guys. So, what would your recommendation be to them trying to accomplish that? So I, I feel I've stated this before, because um, this is a really you know challenging kind of ecosystem, um, and I don't want to you know get in the way when it comes to you know procurement law or anything like that. Is is I think the biggest challenge lies in helping the army understand like where our opportunities lie. I think it's you know, and I've learned this over in the the private world is we spend a lot of time getting to know our customers and our customers' challenges. There's there's not a lot of time really pitching anything because how do you know where you can add value unless you understand, you know, where where your customer is? And I think the same thing applies uh, to the Army. I don't, I don't think a lot of vendors um, spend a lot of time getting to know the entities uh, across the Army, getting to know what their problems are, spending some time uh, with the people that deal with those challenges day in and day out. Um, and essentially test your hypothesis as to where it comes, you know, your product might have value as you engage with the army. Um, th there's no shortage of uh, IT improvements that can be made when it comes to our IT efficiency or ways that we can begin to operationalize our data sets for our mission. Um, but I, I would prefer, you know, people engage the army with wanting to know more. Um, and as people like in engage me, my first question is is going to be like who in the army has the problem that you think you can solve um because the the alternative of like hey well, hey like paul you should you should walk me around and and introduce me to a whole bunch of different like i'm not in the business of uh introducing your product friends um i'm in the business of helping enable the transformation of the army leveraging cloud computing 
Um, and I'm only as valuable as the problems that can be resolved with the army leveraging cloud computing. So where are those problems? Where are those people? Where are those people that want to lean in? Um, and then do they know about the, the opportunity and the technology? Are they learning this and the RFIs that they're putting out for their acquisitions and how they're learning uh, to acquire capabilities? Um, you know, spending that time with the army uh, helps us, it upskills us, it helps us become better at, and this is again with Cloud Smart, better at acquiring technologies that actually help us solve the real problems that we have. Um, we can't put out th thoughtful RFIs or RFPs if we're not getting that engagement and that feedback from people who are willing to get to know us and listen and learn uh, instead of pitching a product. Um, because far too often there's this sales pitch that technology solves everything when we come to find that you know our business processes or something in the way that we wrote a contract is actually what's holding us back and we never see the value of any technology uh, that we lean into when we follow those those approaches. So we need to know where in our business processes we might need some things to change in order to truly leverage an emerging technology. Um, that's where that's where I think the the greatest value that people can bring to the army is is uh, you know don't sell us on technology. That's uh, not the silver bullet. Help us understand ourselves and see ourselves uh, to improve ourselves and where we can thoughtfully adopt technology. Uh, and bring its true potential uh, to bear for the Army's mission. Um, I'd said it before is, you know, uh, I, I'd actually, for instance, I had a vendor engage with me, um, and uh, they're trying to tell me about a whole bunch of different stuff. And I said, hey, who's, you know, who's your most mature customer? And they named somebody. Um, and I said, what, what challenges are you having? And they're like, well, like, we don't think they, they actually realized, you know, just what they needed to change. Um, and I was like, I think it's because they bought a product and not a partner, right? And, and I think we just need people to understand that this is this is the journey that we're on, and we need uh, we don't just need another product. We need someone to to help us understand our challenges and our opportunities, um, who is willing to spend the time to get to know us uh, along that journey and help us along the journey. And I would even say that the people that already exist on contract today within the army uh, are seeing this today is is the the places that we see beautiful outcomes are the people where um, we understand both on the army side as well as the the support side from the integrator is that we're on this journey uh, to modernize and improve the army, um, and that's where personally I see the greatest value for how vendors and uh, and partners can lean in. I like how you put that. You you bought a product, not a partner, and I think especially in in the times we're in right now, as we're we're hopefully coming out of the backside of COVID. Um, we're in the middle of something that we we haven't traversed before, and obviously the Army's accomplished a lot of things, but um, they're in a situation now where they're they're looking into uh, a new future, a new normal, and it's going to take partnerships um, on both sides to be able to successfully uh, traverse that and get into whatever that new normal is and be successful. So. Um, I'm glad you said that. I think that's an important takeaway. I think we we need to look at ourselves um, as partners in the journey, taking sharing risk, um, asking questions, and looking at ourselves to make sure we're providing the right value um, within the programs. So uh, yeah. I think that was really insightful. Um, hey, Paul, thanks for your time today. Any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with? Uh, yeah, so I mean, at the... 
at the end of the day, the ECMO was stood up to add value to the army, to help the army across this journey in adopting cloud. Um, you know, we've got uh, a number of ways that we're trying to reduce the barrier to entry uh, with cloud. Um, and so I, I'd love for people to engage, you know, uh, vendors, but more importantly, you know, components across the army. Uh, the army is big, so getting the word out uh, can be a challenge sometimes is please reach out. Uh, you can email us at uh, armycloud at mail.mil. Uh, we've also got uh, uh, a public team over on CBR. And then, of course, you know you can reach out to me uh, in whatever medium you'd like. Uh, but we're here to uh, to help the Army on his uh, cloud adoption journey to modernize and to to be smart uh, in how we uh, leverage cloud for the readiness and lethality mission that we have. Uh, so I just thanks, Brian, for the for the time. It was good to to chat with you uh, a little bit on this. Um, uh, thanks for letting me just kind of you know share my voice and and have a platform. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I, I hope this uh, helps somebody out there. And one thing I will say, Paul is one of the more active uh, social media guys out there. So he's he's absolutely right. Reach out to him. He will engage uh, and he'll probably give you something to think about, too. So um, so if you don't follow him, uh, if you're not connected in on LinkedIn, I would definitely recommend that. Um, Paul, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. This has been the Government Huddle podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittisterAB. Thanks for joining everybody. Bye for now.